everyone. Welcome to another episode of Happy Hour History. This is Kaden. Um, as usual, I'm just coming in with a couple of pre-show announcements before we get into the final episode of the Mother-Daughter series on Maria Teresa and Marie Antoinette. So first off, I just wanted to let you guys know that I was able to guest host on another podcast called Historical AF, and the episode was all about kind of the history of disease and various diseases throughout history, and they do a couple of different topics throughout, so it does kind of um, cover a couple of different things. The one I talked about was actually the 1348 plague. I don't know if I've talked about it in the past, but when I was living in London, I did work at a former plague site uh, that then turned into a couple of other things throughout history, and it's now a functioning almshouse. So I was able to talk a little bit about my experience personally with working at a plague site, and then also get into the history generally. So go listen to that if you have the chance. The episode was really fun and I had a nice time being able to uh, try out somebody else's podcast format. So definitely go listen to them. Uh, the other couple of things are, this isn't necessarily new information, but just to remind you all, I have released a couple of designs that you guys can purchase for merchandise. The way you can find that is by going to tpublic, which is teepublic.com slash user slash happy hour history podcast. And you can look through the designs there. I will be putting up more designs in the future. It's kind of a slow go. It's something that I've been doing in my free time. And if anyone has any kind of favorite quotes that have come up in the show or just like funny things that might make for nice merchandise, please let me know because it turns out when you edit your own podcast, even the funniest things you say stop sounding so funny. So um, anything that you guys would be interested in, uh, just please hit me up with that. And then the last thing, of course, is that we do have the Patreon if you are interested. The way you can find more about the Patreon is by going to patreon.com slash happyhourhistorypod. All the details are there. I'm hoping to get another Patreon-exclusive episode up in the near future, so it is a good place to search. And um, in the future, I'm also hoping to do a little bit more with the, the concept of, like, longer episodes for patrons. So if you want to get access to the Patreon-only content, you're going to want to go there, and you can start as little as a dollar, so... Um, that's kind of my uh, spiel for the episode, and please enjoy this last episode with my mom for now on uh, the end of the life of Marie Antoinette. I imagine this is going to be a pretty long episode because if you know how her story ends, there's a lot to get through. But if you haven't listened to um, the first three episodes in this series, I would recommend you go back. Otherwise, you're probably going to be a bit confused. Um, I'm here with my mom, and we are going to be finishing this out. Let's do this. Um, 
Yeah, she's been getting a crash course in history. So now it's time to be done. So she never has to learn this stuff again. Well, you know me. I'm also into the death things. The death things. So. The death. Yeah, let's do this. Um, so just... Uh, to remind you all, there's a language and content warning. This one gets pretty deathy at the end. Um, if you haven't heard of the French Revolution, you may be shocked. Um, but just so you're aware, um, so sorry to the moms, but not sorry to my mom because I will not be saying the swears. I'll only be saying good place swears. I haven't been doing too bad. Because I'm a good person like the good place peoples. <laughs> Anyways. All right, so just as a quick summary from the last episode, um, since it's been a while, tip not for us. Um, Make it quick. I've heard this before. I know. Um, <laughs> so as a summary from the last episode, what you need to know is Marie Antoinette was born and she had a pretty lackluster education slash relationship with her mother. She finds out she's going to be like the next queen of France, so they crash course educate this poor child because she's illiterate, basically. Uh, she then gets shipped off to France after fake marrying her brother, and she real marries her husband, Louis, who is a sad, rotund boy who was basically told that he was not his brother and therefore was inadequate, which is sort of what she was told, too. So, shared life experiences, and uh, then they just get married and don't have any babies because they're not doing it, and that's a problem. Um, Seven years, exactly, of not doing it. And uh, so that's where we're going to start off with this bit. So we are uh, entering some bad news territory because she's now queen. Um, her uh, grandfather-in-law, Louis the Fifteenth, has died, and she has no real function at court because her actual job is to create the heirs for France. And as we know, they are not having sex, so they are not having heirs. And that's not great for her because everyone's pretty mad about it. Um, so. The consensus is, like I said last time, that Louis just probably didn't really like sex. Um, and so eventually her mother gets so fed up because she's watching from a distance with her spyglass and she's seeing them not doing it. She's not very pleased. So she actually, um, she calls in her eldest son, Joseph, the Holy Roman Emperor, which is embarrassing, and basically says, you need to get your sister doing it. What are, like, how, how do we make this happen? And that's awkward. I was going to say, how does how does a brother approach that with his younger sister? And I I know that you said they eventually do, but I'm still under the impression maybe he's a little gay. And he's just not interested in bajayjay. He's just not that into you. I mean, he might want penis. I, I don't think that's one of the rumors. I don't even think that's one Seven of like years, the... Seven years, though. But I don't think that's one of the theories. You can be asexual. Did he have mistresses? No. I'm just saying. I'm telling you, asexuality is a real thing, Mom. Nothing from mid-teens to early twenties. But he didn't have he didn't have favorite men either. Nothing. No, I'm telling you, if you if he was gay, he probably would have had his favorites, and they would have been men. I'm telling you, I think he's asexual. All right. Also, that is true. As previously mentioned, he also could have had penis problems, in which case, he wouldn't want to be doing. He wouldn't want to be doing any of the sexy things at all because nothing's working. But anyways, um, so she's like, son, my son, the Holy Roman Emperor, please go embarrass your sister into having sex. So he goes to France. He's like, hello. He basically Wait, he knocks on the door. 
He's like the Dr. Phil of his time. He's like, why? Why aren't you two doing it? And um, he he ends up apparently taking a, taking Louis aside, and they like have a talk. Okay. And you gotta wonder what this talk was. But apparently, Louis like didn't understand the parts of the sex that make the baby. So, so he just was sexually uneducated. I mean, yeah, there's. No, I'm assuming she is too. I mean, they were. Yeah, I mean, they were two like you know, 14 and 15 year old kids who apparently didn't seem like they were that sexually interested in the first place. Forced together and told to make a baby for France. And I don't think they had, like, a sexual education back then. So basically what you're saying is it's not that he was gay or uninterested. He, I do think he was uninterested. They needed the manual, though. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, How to? You gotta think if they were really interested at all that you'd sort of just, like... Figure it out. You, you'd make it work. I mean, I know they don't have Google, but... Sex for dummies. Yeah, so they... Yeah. <laughs> Apparently he just didn't he didn't know how Somebody it worked. Somebody should have just got him drunk. <clears throat> drunk, bad decisions. There you go. I don't even think he wanted to make that bad decision though. I really don't think he was into it. Um but apparently somehow that conversation works because he ends up being able to um report back to his mother that it seemed like the sex may occur. And she was pleased. Um because obviously they need the consummation to finally a make her queen uh make marie antoinette queen and also b to seal the alliance that they've been you know trying to make this entire time um so they probably do it and it seems like she gets pregnant not long after that so it, it actually worked um she also at this point like i said she becomes known as a big spender um and it was supposedly at this point, because she wasn't doing it, like when you're so bored that you just have literally nothing else to do, so you're like, "Well, I'm gonna spend, spend all money. Yeah. spend all my husband's money." That's why I shop at three in the morning. Um, <laughs> when you're just so bored, I make all of my worst like, impulse purchases at three a.m. because I'm bored and have nothing better to do. Exactly. Um, people really didn't like this, despite the fact that. Versailles is like the poster child for conspicuous consumption. They didn't like that she was the biggest consumer. Because um, even though like the crown should be the one spending a lot, I think they think it maybe a lot of it meant, is meant to come from the king, and instead it's coming from the queen. And Do you think they maybe still looked at her as, at her as an outsider too? Like yeah. she's spending our money. Yeah, they always they will always see her. They call her the Austrian quite a lot, which is an awkward way to refer to your That's, queen. I mean, that's kind of hard. What do you do? Because, I mean, you're forced in this position. It's like you wanted to be there. And now people think that, you know, you know, like you're this outsider. Yeah. And so she'll end up becoming known as Madam Deficit um, because of the (laughs) amount of money she spends. Um, I like it. So before before they start actually doing the sex, um, there were a lot of rumors about why they weren't having babies. Um, and a lot of them were that, you know, that she couldn't have babies. Some people thought that he couldn't make children. Now, that's not the kind of rumor you want to spread with your name attached to it in any way. Because to say those things about a king is, like, sort of treason. Yeah. Whereas you, to say it about a queen, think, it's like, no one cares. And you think that they usually blame it on the woman. Yeah, it's easier to blame the woman. But some people genuinely thought he could not have babies. And that's why um, about a year after... Or, like, around, sort of around the time of a year after her brother's visit, 
um, she does have a baby. So about eight years into their marriage, she gives birth. And a lot of people actually like are whispering on the sidelines that are like, it's not his kid because he can't have, obviously we've been saying that he can't have babies. So did he ever think that it wasn't his? I don't think he ever had any doubts, at least about this kid. Because he knew that he was having sex. So if he, yeah, if he knew he was doing it, he's like, yeah, that's mine. Okay. He's like, I did the sex and I I didn't enjoy it, but you know what? I made that thing and I'm pretty proud of it. (laughs) did the crime (laughs) (laughs) he's like all of that horrible horrible effort but i did what i had to do for you france and he's like pounding his chest i am a man um and so yeah so of course the rumor was that he couldn't impregnate her and and that it would allow of course now she becomes pregnant and everybody's gossiping yeah so everybody's like ooh, you know somebody else is gonna make our next heir and that's a problem um, so, like I said, Louis, when you asked, Louis also had no mistresses, um, which is also sort of bad. You think to yourself, it's so nice that, like, this king, I mean, even though he doesn't love her romantically, he respects her, he wants the best for her. He's being he's not, He's Yeah, he's not, like, disrespecting her in front of everybody with all these mistresses because he just finds her distasteful. But in a way, it's actually really bad that he doesn't have mistresses because mistresses royal mistresses anyway are great because at least for the court they can blame mistresses when bad things happen because you can't blame the king okay so you can blame the mistresses they were telling him what like the mistress was telling him what to do she's making all these bad decisions you blame her but then equally when you want something done you go to the mistress and then she whispers in his ear and then somebody else can complain about the bad things she's telling him to do so it's like a two-for situation. You got, but it's also a catch twenty-two for the mistress. Yeah. Oh, the the job of a mistress is very difficult, and actually in France, it's considered an official position at the court. You oh, are did not you know are that. the official mistress of the king, and you have a role. You can get like lands and stuff for that, and be, it's an important position. He doesn't have one. Um, so even though it's all nice and you know happy romantic story that he doesn't have a mistress and he's respecting her even though he doesn't have romantic feelings for her, it means that she takes on the role like within society of both mistress and wife. So now they blame her for everything. Oh. And they don't particularly think that she really has the king's ear anyway, so no one's fussed about that. They're just saying, oh, she's the one making all these terrible decisions. Madam Deficit spending all our money, not letting the king do the right thing. Oh, I hate to be in her shoes at that point. So, it's just, I mean, did she cut back on spending at least? <laughs> not really. So Ooh. she she's in a bad position. I would say so. And in 1778, like I said, about eight years into their marriage, she finally has their first kid. And their first kid is a daughter. Oh, no, to make matters worse. So, not great. Her daughter, of course, is called Marie-Therese Charlotte. So they don't even get new names. It's just the same names recycled over and over again. And she doesn't even like her mom that much. I was going to say, why would she name And then she's got to name her name. She's like, oh, I guess I got to name this one after mom because mom just made me have sex that one time. (laughs) (laughs) That one time. We did it the one time. We got this baby and now we wanted to be done. (laughs) But it's a girl. Um, although Damn having it. having said that, despite I the fact, yeah, I gotta do it one more time. Um, <laughs> despite the fact that you would have thought she'd be a little disappointed in the fact that it was a girl, um, she said upon the birth of her child, "Poor little girl, you are not what was desired, but you are no less dear to me on that account. A son would have been property of the state. You shall be mine." 
Oh, that was sweet. So that is sweet. So she, I'm hoping she's a good mom because her mom was I mean, jacked up. unfortunately, you shall be mine is a is a a nice way of putting it because you know if you discount what we know is coming, um, and you just think that they're like regular royals, she would have had to give her kid up at like what twelve. Oh yeah, true. So not great. No royal ever really owns their kids in a way. Not like owns, but like really has the right to their own children. And that's why I was saying with Maria Theresa, like maybe that's why she was never close with her kids was because she knew she, she had, knew she'd have to let them. She go. knew they didn't really belong to her; they belonged to the state. Um, so, but this one at least she says is hers. Like at least the raising of it is sort of like her daughter. She has some Whereas a son will be raised as the Dauphin. Um, and around the same time, France joins the American Revolution. So. Cheers to the American Revolution. We're over there across the ocean trying to get rid of Britain. So, good for us. Dump that Yay. tea into the harbor. George Washington doing his due. Valley Forge, all that. So The exciting stuff, as we like to call it. Um, no. Not really. We have, oh, I thought you were just big into American history. I was like, uh, no. no. I like I like English history and European history a lot more, but that's cool too, I guess. George Washington's a cool dude. Not a great person, but a cool dude. Never knew him. You should try. He's a cool dude. <laughs> Don't know if I said that already. Um, but My question is, how do you know? Um, I watched Outlander, and he's a character in that, so I feel like I really know him now. Oh, you're on you're on the same level. I got. <laughs> yeah, we, we've actually connected. Um, no, so France joins the American Revolution. They literally just join to make Britain angry, um, which fair enough because I mean, they, sounds like a solid reason. They to hate me. Britain. That's the entire reason that all of those Austria Prussia wars were. I was gonna say, isn't every war just you don't like? the person you're against. Well, yeah. I mean, those Austro-Prussian wars that were happening when everyone else joined in on sides, they literally just joined in because they're like, oh, Britain's going to support that side. Well, then obviously France is going to support this side because we hate Britain. So it has nothing to do with the it's actual combatants. Yes. Goes back in long ways. Um, but yeah, so France is like, anything to make Britain angry is good for us. So we're going to support the Americans trying to get rid of them. And to do this, there's an increase on taxes. <laughs> And the common people are like, hey, that's weird. Why are we paying for their war? For a fight in another country. And then, and then, I mean, I admit I didn't look too much in depth on this, but you got to think that some of them who are a little bit smarter, like not like maybe farmers, unless they're very intellectual farmers, but you got to think like lawyers and doctors and people who were like still lower class, but like, you know, had an education, but like knew what was happening. You got to think that they're like, that's weird because if we're supporting the Americans getting rid of their monarch and our monarch's making us pay for this, isn't Why there, rid of our monarch? there's like a, there's like a thought in my head here and I just can't grasp it, but you know, so there's potential that you can imagine that some of those people paying all these heavy taxes are like, Ooh, there's an idea brewing. Yeah. Right. What's wrong with it? And well, so while all this is happening, um, France is getting involved in war. Her first child is born. She's also given, um, like I said, she was given land by her husband. And part of this was um, on the estate of Versailles. There's an area called Le Petit Trianon, and it's sort of like a mini, like, like a little mini mansion, like a McMansion, but not as ugly as a McMansion. 
Um, it's a really cute house, and it's got, like, nice, like, rooms inside, and it's very cute, but it's significantly tinier than the actual Versailles, and it was really just meant for her. So she was kind of allowed to have, like, rooms there, and she was sort of allowed to remove herself. It's only, like, it's still on the Versailles estate. I would say it's probably, like, a mile or two away. It doesn't seem good, though, to remove yourself. But, like, she had a kid now, and they kind of let her just, like, be at a distance. She could still join the court because she was close. Um, but she had this space that was hers. Now, the thing that gets weird is that on this estate, she also has um, built what's called, in English anyway, the Queen's Hamlet. Um, And it is sort of like a really perfect-looking, like, medieval kind of, almost like fashionable barn. It's like fashion barn, like cottage but make it fashion. And so <laughs> so what she wants to do in the Queen's Hamlet that she has is that she wants to get, give up all of the kind of ostentatiousness of being the queen, and she wants to dress up like a peasant and act kind of like a farmer. And so, you know, they've got cows, and they milk the cows, but they're milking the cows into, like, porcelain bowls. And they have chickens, and they go find chicken eggs. But, like, somebody wakes up in the morning and, like, you know, puts out nice fresh chicken eggs for her to find that, like, aren't actually laid that morning and stuff. And so she's playing peasant, but it's, like, the glamping version of being a peasant. So it's, like, you know. It's a complete 180, though, from all these gowns she was having made that were, like, the height of fashion. And now she wants to dress like a peasant. I think she just wanted so badly to not be part of the court life that she was forced to be. She was so forced into the rigidity of the day with waking up and someone hands you your shirt and, like, you know. And I think she just wanted to go away and pretend like she was someone else. And so she pretends like she's a, a peasant girl, but she's like, the most privileged peasant girl ever. Because every other peasant's like that, like, do you want to come milk my cow and, you know, like, get all the hay for the animals and, like, plow my field? It's nice when you can play it. It's terrible when you have to do it on a daily. So she's doing, she's just doing the glamping version of being a normal person. Best kind. And so it's fun. But people are like, sorry, we're paying? money for you to pretend (laughs) to be us when you could just come do the things that we have to do um so yeah it's not the best for her image but she just i think it was just like it felt authentic to her in a way that nothing in her life she needed yeah nothing in her life is real and that's not real either but it felt slightly closer to what actual people are meant to do (laughs) Um, but it's still sort of performative in a way, but it's just performative to her. Um, and then in 1780, her mother dies and she still doesn't have a son. So even though she is the queen now and technically their alliance has been like formally created because of the sex, um, she doesn't have an heir for France and that puts her in kind of a dangerous position. And her mother had been such a force in Europe that that had always sort of protected her politically. And she'd never been political before. She just didn't really care that much, and she wasn't involved. Um, but with her mother dead, she's like, oh, do I have to, like, do, do I have to know things now? Like, do I have to understand the politics of the country? And, like, do I have to be able to protect myself and my daughter? And like, she, I'm assuming she wasn't educated in this kind of... I don't really think, like, statescraft was something that she was 
ever really meant to do. Um, but when, yeah, obviously when her mother dies, she's like, oh, darn, like, that was a big protecting force in my life. Well, what about her brother, who's still the emperor? Um, so he is the emperor, and he's there, but I don't, like, he doesn't command the same respect that her mother did, I don't think. Gotcha. But he's still, like, I think he still always had sort of her best interest at heart. Like, I don't think he hated her or anything. Um, he got the sex happening, so he was pretty lucky, apparently. <laughs> um, and so... This, the death of her mother and her sudden worry, especially about not having a son, seems to spur them to do it at least one more time. And they have a son uh, in 1781, and his name, of course, is Louis Joseph. Her, I thought you were gonna her husband guess. and her brother. Well, I maybe wouldn't have got the Joseph. But oh, I'll, I'll let you guess the next one. Louis. No, don't guess yet, oh, Mom. Damn. You're too early. <laughs> um, that's okay. Actually, it's coming up. So she and her children basically go and live in the petite Trianon indefinitely. Um, and they just, like, don't really want to be involved too much in the court life. And then in 1785, she has her second son. What is his name? Louis. And? Joseph. Th- that was the other child's name. <laughs> we already gave that exact name to someone else. The second. <laughs> but the first one didn't even die. Even Maria Theresa's not too stupid well, to give two children the identical Louis, name. Louis, I don't know. Oh, you should know. Charles. Yes. Yes. I feel like I need a high five. Yeah, Louis Charles. um, You made me work for that one. (laughs) She only knows, like, at least four or five boys' names. She knows Louis. She knows Charles for her her grandfather. And probably at least a brother. I don't really remember at this point. There's so many people. Um, She knows Joseph for her brother. And weirdly enough, no Stevens or Francis's. And her father was Francis Stephen. So apparently, despite those hugs that he gave her before he passed away... He didn't deserve a name. Yeah, 25 years later, she's like, hmm, ominous that he gave me all those hugs, but she's never like, hmm, name my baby after my dad. Whatever. That is sad, isn't it? Sorry, Dad, you've been dead for too long. Everyone's forgotten you. But it's weird, because Grandpa... the picture. Grandpa makes it back in with Charles. So, don't know. Maybe she was closer to Grandpa. I don't know. She didn't know Grandpa. She was not born. Oh, she was, she was like, remember how the the myth of Grandpa was so cool? Yes. I was going to say, technically, she could have named it after her sister, um, uh, Carolina. Sorry, I just blanked. Um, her sister, Carolina, which Char- would Charles would be the male form. But her first daughter is called Marie Therese Charlotte. And Charlotte and Carolina are like the same name. Okay. So maybe she was just doubling up. She's like, I love my sister so much, and I haven't seen her in a long time, so they're all just being named after her. But it also could have been no. But it could have been what? a grandfather, so I don't know. Um, and then in 1786, the next year, she has a daughter called Mary Sophie Beatrix. Um, so she, that's her fourth child. She'll only have four children. Um, a respectable amount compared to the 16. Especially, you say, as you have four children. I do. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately, child number four will die within a year. Aww, so that baby doesn't baby. make it. So we're back to three. We're backing it up again. God, I could have sex again. <laughs> She's like, not again. <laughs> um, now, the deal here is that um, around the time um, that she's having all these kids, she also knows a man called Axel von Fersen. And Axel von Fersen is um, a Swedish statesman who Marie kind of got on with really well. And so some people think they had an affair. I was going to say, that never ends well. So they think they were doing it, and it's 
kind of said that people found it very notable, wink, wink, that her second son, Louis Charles, was born right around the nine-month mark after Fearson had actually returned from fighting in the American Revolution. And so people were like, oh, maybe that second kid is not the king's, and that's a problem. Like, the first kid, her, her daughter... Like, when people are like, oh, that couldn't be the king's because he clearly isn't having sex. He's impotent. Um, that, like, A, it was a daughter, and B, like, I think the rumors sort of died down more or less. But this kid is second in line to the throne. <laughs> so and that's a problem. I'm assuming the rumor doesn't die down. Now, the other thing is, is that there are other people at the same time who are also saying, oh, wink, wink, it's interesting how this baby was born about nine months after she and her husband were, like, actually spending time together. So, it's conflicting opinions on that one. Does he look like somebody? I don't know. Um, I don't think there's any real historical, like, like, I don't think people think that it's actually Fearson's. I think people do think that that baby is the king's, like, even today. Um, So, there's not really any issue with that child, so it seems. They need a 23 in me. Um, So, yeah, so it does seem like they, like, he's legitimate. Um, but the rumors are enough to be problematic for a time. However, her youngest daughter, uh, Marie Sophie, the one who dies, a lot of historians actually do think that that might have been Pearson's child. Um, now, of course, she ends up dying anyway, so unfortunately, it's like a mood point because it's not really an issue with like dynastic things. Okay. Um, but potentially, I mean, obviously, there's going to be like mixed opinions. No one's ever really going to have. An answer, but there are historians that think that one's more likely. Um, so, ooh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Maybe she's having actual fun sex now instead I was of like getting a little on the side. You know, she has she had sex at least three times with her husband, maybe four if that fourth kid really was his. Um, but she also could have been having like actual adult like you know relations. a good relationship and like something that was a little healthier and somebody who liked her. Not just a breeding um, machine. And honestly, I don't really think her husband cared. Like, if he knew that she was, like, sort of into a guy, I honestly don't think that he gave a shirt. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Holy shirt balls. Um, You're such a bench. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I don't think he was too bothered, all things considered. <laughs> he was just like, you know what? I cannot make this girl happy, so just, like, do what you gotta do. I'm still wondering, like, what would make him happy? Locks. On girls? <laughs> just decorate her in locks. Just like, would like, he, wait, if would, you, like, if you put, like, a chastity belt on her and he, like, had to unlock the belt and then there, that was the prize, maybe he'd be more interested. It's like an I'm, escape room, but for vaginas. I was is he maybe into like a bondage situation? I think he's the exact he opposite. I think he's the exact opposite of somebody who would be interested in that. He's like the least sexually in- like inventive person of all time. I mean, if you're not attracted to him, I guess that's a good thing. But in the same respect, it's like every time he had to do it was um, just torture for him. And he's like, for the state, for the state, for the state. <laughs> he's in bed going. Lux, Lux. <laughs> Why did you do that? 
Oh, no. Oh, no. I mean, if that's the only thing that turns them on. I don't know if they turned them on. Oh, I hope not. Okay. I mean, he liked them a lot. He liked them a lot. Um, so, at this point, obviously, she's living her weird, like, peasant life. She's also living kind of separate, mostly from the court. She's still spending. That means that scandal's growing. Um, and then there's um, a huge kerfuffle. I don't even really know how else to describe it besides a kerfuffle. And this kerfuffle is called the Affair of the Diamond Necklace. Ooh, sounds intriguing. Basically, so these French jewelers had created a necklace, and it was like a big boy, like a big necklace. And it was worth, um, like the estimates that I've seen are 1,600,000 livres, which is... So much money. We think about like the fact that you know a penny could buy you a loaf of bread back then. Anything in the millions is too many, too many, just too many. Can't even fathom that amount. Yeah, they're like, what? We don't even know how many commas that is. How Fair many? Point. Sorry, how many zeros in that number? Um. So yeah, so these jewelers had made this necklace. It was a big boy, and had lots of diamonds. And they had tried to sell it to Louis the Fifteenth, the former king. Uh, to give to his mistress, and he was like, it's too big, too expensive. And then they tried to sell it to Louis the Sixteenth for Marie Antoinette, and he was like, it's a big boy, it's too expensive. So they're like, well, we got this big necklace, and no one wants to buy it. Well, it comes around that there is a woman, there's a countess, who starts scheming, and she's like, I want that necklace. Gotta have that necklace. So she schemes, um, and her plan is to trick a cardinal, his name's Cardinal de Rohan, and he was the French ambassador to Vienna for, um, like, two years in the 70s, so before this all happens. And um, Maria Theresa, her mother, hated this dude. And so, as a result, Marie Antoinette also didn't like him very much. Um, and so, when all this happens, he's like, "Oh man, like, I wish the queen liked me. The queen hates me. Like, how do I make the queen like me? And so, this countess comes up to him, and he's, she's like, hey, so... Um, I'm, I know how to make the queen like you. And so she starts, she starts writing letters forged as like in the queen's handwriting, um, saying like, Hey, like I want to be friends with you. Um, but my husband won't buy me this cool necklace and I really want it. Oh. And he's like, Oh, the queen wants this necklace. And the queen's like, yeah, like I will be your friend we're gonna like have great relations now like everything's gonna be solved after everything that happened with my mom in the past it's all like she's dead no problem anymore just give me this necklace and so um he's like he but he's not a stupid man so he's like queen i gotta meet you i gotta be sure don't know that this is really from you you're signing it from the queen but how can we know so this countess hires a prostitute who was famed for looking like Marie Antoinette. And, of course, that's why everyone purchases her services. Not her. You can't purchase a person (laughs) unless you're a slave. Um, They purchase her services because she looks like the queen. And so she hires this prostitute to meet him in, like, the dead of night. Because why would the queen want to have a dead of night meeting? to be like, buy me the necklace. Yeah, it seems a little shady. So, yeah, so they meet. um, And this countess is obviously arranging all of it. And so finally... um, Finally, our cardinal is like, the queen has said I gotta buy this necklace, so what are you gonna do? She's gonna like me, gotta pay all this money, and she's gonna be cool. 
So he buys the necklace, basically. Like, this is a very long story short on it all. Um, but he buys this necklace, and um, as soon as the uh, the countess finds out about it, she steals it. And she steals it, and she runs away. And once she gets away, she is able to uh, sell it for parts in London, I believe, which is where we are. Um, well, that's kind of ballsy, though. So, yeah, so she steals the necklace, she sells it for parts. Um, and then when this all kind of comes to light... Um, the cardinal's like, but the queen told me to. And the queen's like, excuse me? I don't, we have never spoken. I'm still mad at you from the time you were mean to my mom. <laughs> um, he's like, no, no, no. Like, of course you told me to. I have your letters. Um, and he shows the letters. And it turns out that, A, they were forged, obviously. But, B, they didn't, like, the woman who was forging it didn't sign the way she did. Okay. It's, I guess she signed, like, with a last name. And the royals didn't use last names. They just used titles. And so that's how they were like, no, that's that's not real. You were tricked, son. And um, the problem is, is that Louis wants to protect his wife. Because for all of his faults, he really does care for her. Uh, he wants to protect her reputation. And he wants to take the guy to court. So that this won't hurt her in any way. Because she didn't sanction it. So, so they take the guy to court, and this seems like it would have been the right thing, because they're like, oh, he's protecting her, he wants to help. It was the wrong idea. Because even though she was innocent by, like, you know, all kind of opinions, no one really thinks she was actually involved, it made it look like she was involved somehow. I don't really know how they thought it made her look involved, but I guess they were like, oh, she's Madame Deficit, she's spending all her money, of course she'd be involved. And then even when they, like, found her innocent... They were still sort of like, yeah, but she's Madame Deficit, so she's this kind of person anyway. Like, even if she didn't, like, she still would. And it's like, well, she didn't, so she clearly wouldn't. But they didn't care. So it hurt her reputation, even though she was completely innocent and didn't have anything to do with it. So basically, this necklace was just a whole problem for her, totally accidentally. Um, I was going to say, that sucks because she had nothing really to do with it. Yeah, so she, she was not trusted for that. Um, also, like I said, she was always seen as the Austrian. Um, she was considered to be an Austrian spy, which is funny because there were often times where the Austrians wanted her to do things for them, like to put forth their own agenda. So they wanted her to put forth their desires to the French. And oftentimes she'd be like, no, like this, you know, I, I love Austria. I love my brother, but like, I'm the French queen. So I got to do like what feels right in the moment. Um, and that was a that was a hard position that a lot of women, noble women, were put in. Is that on the one hand they were sort of always seen as the envoy of their home country, and that they were meant to be representing their home country and like helping their interests. But on the other hand, they were also meant to be like the queen of a new country and like take on their traditions and like like respect the way that they were supposed to live in that place. And so it sort of made it hard because they were never really right. If you started to live like your home country, like your new country, sorry, mm -hmm. your your country of residence that you're queen of, your home would get mad at you because they're like, what's the point of you? You're a daughter, you're like, you're a daughter, you're meant to be putting forth our interests. But then if you supported your home country while you're queen of a new one, everyone sees you as a spy. Yeah. So she was trying not to, and somehow everyone ended up hating her, which isn't great. Well, it's a shame. Um, I'm kind of digging her. So the Austrians saw her as being not Austrian enough, and the French saw her as too Austrian. So 
Um, not a great situation. Rock hard place. So she was portrayed in what's called like the libels and also pamphlets at the time because obviously got like printing press. Um, she was portrayed as the big spender um, and a much bigger spender than she actually realistically was. So even though she'd spent quite a lot, I mean, you have to obviously imagine that the royal family was sort of meant to spend a lot. I mean, they were meant to keep a nice wardrobe and, and employ all these people. So she was a big spender, but they really hyped it more than it actually was. And it seems like they're not letting it go. No, they would never. Um, but despite all of this, she actually did a lot of charity work. Um, I was reading something, and they said that in cold winters, she adopted children into the royal household, including a boy who was nearly run over by her carriage, and a black slave boy who she freed and gave an education. See, there Um, you go. So she was a good person. She did charity work. She supported various charities. I also said that she was a patron of the arts and stuff. Um, So she was doing good things in the world, but despite all of this that she was trying to put back, she was always seen as kind of like a leech on the whole country, which is not something that's easy to uh, to kind of get rid of that image, I guess. And then in the late 1780s, um, France was in mega debt because they had been involved in wars, uh, like the Seven Years' War and then the American Revolution, which they really didn't even need to be involved in. Um, Versailles, like just the concept of Versailles was expensive, keeping all that up all the time. Um, the nobles and clergy like didn't pay taxes. So their their government, sorry, like their I guess their tax system was split into three. So you have the three estates is what they're called. The first estate is the clergy. The second estate is the nobles, or they might be flipped, doesn't really matter. Um, and then the third estate is everybody else. So if you're not noble and you're not part of the like religious clergy, then you're just everybody else. And everybody else paid all the taxes. So they're the ones paying for the wars. Yeah, the nobles need to chip in. And, uh, and also, unfortunately, they came into a couple of years of bad harvests. So just mega debt and people are starving. And it wasn't her fault by any means, but of course they're still portraying it as being her fault as Madame Deficit. And uh, she actually was involved in getting rid of the, the previous finance minister who she thought wasn't good at it. Um, but it hurt her reputation a lot to get rid of him, even though, like, it may have actually been a decent move to do. Um, but she ends up bringing him back because in the short term, she's like, I need the help to my reputation, even though if he messes things up again, it's just going to hurt me a second time. But she's like, it's worth, like, what might that happen. Chance. So she brings him back, and she's not very happy about it. Um, she also then tries to... So actually, No. Louis then tries to change the tax situation um, to make uh, like some help from the nobles, but they block it, of course, because they don't want to pay. Um, and for some reason, this was blamed on Marie Antoinette too, even though obviously it's the nobles who don't want to pay the money. Everybody's like, oh, but Marie Antoinette is like vetoing it. And so then she becomes known as Madame Veto. So they don't really have, like, they're not even funny anymore. Like, they're, they're just making her Madame dumb words. Yeah. Just Madam Ugly Face. And, and she is basically the scapegoat for everything. Yeah, they should have just called her Madam Stupid Head. Like, they're not, they're not even good at this. <laughs> um, not creative enough for your liking? No. So she was Madam Vito because apparently she's the one who wouldn't let them pay their money. Um, and then there's a plan at the end of this all 
where they're like, okay, we can't solve the crisis of the debt and the, the starvation that's happening. So what we're going to do is we are going to call the Estates General, which is sort of like their parliament. Um, and the Estates General has not been called in a long time because the king only calls it when he needs to. So a lot of kings try not to need to. Um, but he's like, we are clearly in a situation, so we're going to call the Estates General. And what it means is that um, like a certain number of all of the three estates get to come together and try to discuss and like vote on what happens. Now, everyone in the third estate's not happy because I don't remember the numbers specifically, but to keep it simple anyway, I'm just going to go 100, which I don't think is the correct number, but whatever. Um, but we're simplifying. So if the first estate gets 100 people, the second estate gets 100 people, and the third estate gets 100 people, then despite the fact that 99% of the people in France are the third estate, they get one-third of the votes. And so they're like, obviously, the first and second states don't want to pay taxes or anything. So they're going to vote against us. We'll never win. So Louis is like, no, 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 no. It's fine. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you double the number of people. So you'll get 200 people, and the first and second states only get 100 each. So you're equal. You equal them, and you can vote how you like. And so they're like, cool, like we can make changes. We can finally do something. The third state has a voice. Except they don't, because what happens is that they decide that despite giving them more people, um, each estate will only end up getting one vote. So they all have to decide together what their vote is, and then you—it's still two to one. You then. cast three votes, yeah, and it's two to one. So like, so you gave us two hundred people or whatever it was, double the number of people, just for us to deliberate amongst ourselves to oh, wow. still get our one vote that will be outvoted by the other two. So they're not happy about this. And he thought, he like genuinely was like, oh, this is going to solve our problem. Like the third estate is going to be happy. They're going to get more people. And it's like, no, you moron. But our poor boy was never raised for this life properly because he was, he was inferior. But think about it. If they gave them two votes for those 200 people, you're always seems like it's going to have a tie. You're always going to have the noble and potentially the clergy voting one way and then yeah. the others voting well, the other way. Well, so breaks the tie. If they'd given them all a vote, like every person a vote, then you can imagine that you get like one or two tender-hearted nobles who are like, oh, charity is so important. We have to help the people. And then like maybe you could sway that one person. It's like every time our government is about to do something nuts and then we're like praying to that one Republican who's like, Maybe they have a heart somewhere in their body, and it's like, no, they don't. Why are we trying? <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, you, you wonder if there was a potential that it could have worked, but then it's shot dead when they find out they each get one vote per state. So um, this state's not very happy about this, as you can imagine. Um, so um, they end up going to the estate general. And break off at one point. So on the 20th of June, 1789, by the way, for everyone who is listening, I'm going to like super brush over most of the French Revolution at this point because it's there's just too much and it would take too long to explain fully. Um, but 20th of June, 1789, the third estate, for the most part, like a, a decent number of them decide to leave. And where they were having the estate's general meetings, they go to the tennis court so they leave the actual meeting hall or wherever it was, and they go to the tennis court, and they take what's called the tennis court oath. And this is when they basically say, we're going to keep meeting, our group of the third state, we're going to keep meeting until 
uh, we can get a constitution. We want a constitution. We're done with this. Like, this is not working and it's not fair. Um, so, like, we won't be silenced. We're going to get what we're asking for. And so this is happening. But at the same time, in the same month anyway, um, earlier on the 4th of June, um, Marie Antoinette and her husband, um, their son dies of tuberculosis. So their first son um, Louis Joseph. So he passes away, and as a result, by the time the 20th rolls around and this tennis court oath is taking place, they're in mourning. So they're like not focused on what's happening, and they're not that bothered about it because they're like, whatever, Constitution doesn't matter, our son's dead. Um, and so there's a rumor for some reason that goes around that she wanted to bathe in the blood of everyone who took the tennis court oath which like why she was busy yeah she was busy girl was girl was having her like mourning period and they're like no no she wants their blood (laughs) kill them um so i don't i can i would think it's safe to say that she did not actually ever say that but you know whatever maybe she did maybe she's like out for it at that point she's like whatever my son's dead do what you want kill mom um although she still has another son so she's got hope um but as usual it's always second son so as this story goes the one who's inferior and so they also claim around this time and i'm not it was hard to kind of pinpoint when this was meant to have happened but sometime in this frame of time that she was meant to have said let them eat cake because everyone's starving so when, when the people kind of like, when I guess her ministers would ever come to her and say, you know, the people of France are starving, like, what are you going to do about it? And she's like, let them eat cake. And it's obviously meant to be a brush off about like these out of touch aristocrats who don't understand um, what it's like to be a poor person. But uh, basically 100%, like she never said this. Um, the line actually shows up um, much earlier, a few decades earlier. There is a philosopher called uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Um, Fun fact, when I was in high school, I had to pretend to be him once for a class project. It was really fun. Um, And Jean-Jacques Rousseau, when he was writing uh, as a child, he used like a similar line um, about like a different queen. So um, it's not the, the line's not perfectly identical, but it's the exact same thing. Basically, it's like let them eat brioche or something. And uh, the same idea of, like, this out-of-touch aristocrat who doesn't understand, like, yeah. what the people are going through. Um, so she never said that, but it's her most famous thing that she's meant to have said. And then we get into the revolution, and I've titled this slide with your favorite princess bride quote. Let me explain. No, no. Let me sum up. It's no. No time. No time. Let me sum up. Let me sum up. So we're summing up the French Revolution because it's too much. Um, so the people storm the Bastille, um, slash Bastille, however you say it, on the 14th of June, 1789. That was actually recently. We just passed that date um, as of this recording. The king was at this point still seen as the father of the country. So despite the fact that they want a constitution, they still want to have a monarch. So it's going to be a constitutional monarchy is their plan. And so they'll be given more rights and they'll have a voice, but he'll still be kind of like the like figurehead. And um, so because they, they basically thought that he had been misled by his advisors, that he was a good person and that he was their like their no like their king. And they actually the people had quite a lot of respect for 
the like nobility of the royal family. So they didn't really want to get rid of him. And from everything you explained, he sounds like he's a good king. Yeah, he's a good dude. I mean, you know, he's not a great ruler because he's just not really good at like statecraft. But he's like a good dude, which is not the same thing. But like they didn't hate him. And honestly, weirdly enough, and this is like a trend throughout history, it tends to be the most poor and disadvantaged people, like the peasants, who are very deeply attached to the monarchy. They're like, no, that's our king. Like so you don't, not the nobles. you don't mess with our king. The nobles all want to be king. Yeah. The- um, but but like the, I don't know if it's just because like that's like the person that they associate with like the country or like their protection or something, but people are very attached to the idea of monarchy, and so sometimes the poorest are the most loyal. Yeah, the most loyal, which is weird because getting rid of the monarchy and the nobles is usually what helps them the most. Um, but whatever. Um, so they're like, yeah, we want to keep him. It's just his advisors that have been bad. So actually the royal family, when they find out about all this, they're like kind of telling all their friends and advisors maybe to leave. They're like, hey, so they're blaming you guys. So if you want to get out, now's a good time. And they use this as a way to basically kind of put out the fires if as much as they can. Get rid of the people that they're blaming, um, but still be there because the people still want them, even though they're not supporting this like publicly or anything. Or, like, personally, they're not fans of the revolution. But they can't say that. Um, so the people actually come to Versailles. This is actually where the Kirsten Dunst film ends. The people coming to Versailles to take them away. Um, and they take them to Paris because the people are like, we're having a revolution in Paris. Like, that's sort of the epicenter where it's happening. And you guys are, like, 20 miles away in Versailles. But you're the head of the revolution now. Like, we want you, so you have to be here with us. And they're like, yeah, of course, we love that idea. But inside, they're like, we hate the revolution, and we don't want to go with you. This is the king and queen. Yeah. Like, we don't want to go with you. We don't want the revolution. Like, don't kill people. You would think that they would want to protect them and not put them in right in where the heart of all everything's happening. Yeah, but they're like, you're like you're our monarch. Like, of course our king wants us to have what's best. So we need to have this revolution. We're doing it for you. Um, Good luck. And so the intention is, of course, constitutional monarchy, and that the royals will be, like, the face of it. And so they're put in the Tuileries Palace in, uh, in Paris, and they do have a certain level of autonomy, like, they're allowed to leave and go to church and stuff. But they're more or less under house arrest. And they know this. Like, they can't leave, leave. Because the revolutionaries are like, no, no, you're part of this now, right? And they're like, yeah, of course we are. Um, so at this point, because they don't really have a lot to do and they're kind of stuck, she mostly dedicates her time to her two remaining children. So her eldest daughter and her son, uh, Louis Charles, I believe. Um, had too many kids, it's too hard to remember. Um, are all the same names at least. Um, so during this time, there were even more of these libels going around about her, which is weird because on the one hand, they're like, we want you to be the queen of our like new constitutional thing. But on the other hand, they're like, also, wouldn't it be funny if we drew you pornographically involved with another woman? And then like, we're like, hey, it's true. And it's like, no, it's not, but whatever. And they also said that she was involved sexually with the Marquis de Lafayette, uh, who had helped in the American Revolution and is a character in Hamilton, which is the best musical. Um, 
She did not like the Marquis de Lafayette at all. Why? Just like personal enmity. Okay. So there, there was no way they were doing it. Um, but these libels didn't care. So they were like, you're doing it with women. You're doing it with men you hate. You're doing it with so everyone. Sexy want, lady. They want this king and queen to be in their corner. Yeah. They bring them to Paris. And then they're like, but also sex. And then you're making fun of the queen, basically. Yeah. Well, I think they really wanted the king. Everyone still more or less is like, yeah, that Austrian woman's like, fine, I guess. She has to come too. They so, should have just left her behind. Um, So... They are, while they're under house arrest, they're forced to make more and more concessions to the revolutionaries that they don't agree with. So like I said, personally, they're super against the revolution, but they have to act like they aren't because otherwise they know they're in danger. Okay. Um, So this lasts for quite a long time. So they're under house arrest for about two years. And in 1791, they decide at last that they're going to flee. So they like make a whole plan. They're going to try to escape. And go to a part of France that still isn't, like, that isn't under the revolution. So it's still royalist. And that they, like, are going to get help there. And then maybe they could even leave the country. And so Louis doesn't realize how to, like, per, like properly execute an escape. So he <laughs> writes he writes a letter denouncing the revolution, finally. Because for all this time, he's had to pretend like he's in favor. So finally, he's like, you know, fork the revolution. And, uh, but he's stupid. And so he doesn't like wait, like he doesn't like put it in the mail when he's gone, you know, like already safe. So he like leaves it out where it can be found as they like get into their carriage and go. And so they're escaping to this safe kind of royalist part of the country, but they get caught in a city called, or like a town called Varennes. Okay. Um, and this whole, like, endeavor is called the Escape to Varennes, which is funny because it's not actually where they were trying to go. It's where they get caught. And, of course, now that they're caught, they're brought back to Paris. Now they're um, not liked very much. Yeah, now no one's very happy because before they were the face of the revolution, people thought they were into it. And now everyone knows because of his letter and their escape attempt that they are not friends of the revolution and if you're not a friend of the revolution you're You're an enemy you're yeah you're a problem so um people now recognize this and um it sort of made people radicalize further because prior to this they're like yeah constitutional monarchy that's totally cool we're gonna have a king he's gonna be like our dad like big country dad and then we'll have like like a constitution and maybe we'll do like like an actual um, like parliament system, like there's there's here. Don't have some rights. Um, and now they're like, no, fork the king, fork the monarchy. <laughs> We're gonna have a full republic. We're not doing this anymore. He tried to escape. He's against us. Screw you all. Yeah. So they're taken back and they're made to live in the Tuileries again. And it's eventually stormed in 1792. Um, but they do spend like the next year in the Tuileries. But this time it's like less friendly. It wasn't great before, but it's not great now. And then it's during this um, this period, again, of being imprisoned after the flight to Varennes, where she writes, a, she writes letters um, to our old pal Axel von Fersen, who she may have had babies with. Yes, four. Baby, baby yes. four. And so the first, so at first, like, they'd found letters that she'd written to him, and they were, like, nice and friendly and, like, talked to him and stuff. But then they actually at some point, don't know when, were able to decode parts of her letters 
they previously hadn't been able to read. Um, she wrote in codes that she herself supposedly was able to come up with, and they were very hard to crack, apparently. Um, which means that for all that we think she was stupid, she was very smart and able to kind of create these codes that they could only they could seem to decode. And like, when did they have time to discuss how the code would work? I don't know. I don't know, but that's kind of interesting. Um, she also would write like an invisible ink and stuff <laughs> because she knew that her stuff was being read. Oh, that's very interesting. So this is, a, this is part of a letter that she wrote to him, or it might be the whole thing. Um, and part of it is what they would have been able to see, and then part of it is stuff that was decoded. I haven't actually differentiated because it would have just been too hard to read out loud that way. But this is what the letter fully decoded says. So this was in 1791 to Ferrison. She wrote, I am alive here, my beloved, for the reason to adore you. Oh, how anxious I have been for you, and how sorry I am about all that you must have suffered in having no news from us. May heaven grant that this letter reaches you. Do not write me. This would compromise all of us, and above all, do not return under any circumstances. It is known that it was you who helped us to get away from here, and all would be lost if you should show yourself. We are guarded day and night. I do not care. You are not here. Do not be troubled on my account. Nothing will happen to me. The National Assembly, which is like the government will show leniency. Farewell, the most loved of men. Be quiet if you can. Take care of yourself for myself. I cannot write any more, but nothing in the world could stop me to adore you up to my death. So, does she, does she know? Does she know she's going to be put to death? Because it sounds like she thought that they were going to give her leniency. She doesn't. So at this point, everything's still, like, it's not good, but, like, she doesn't know that they're going to die. Or at least, so she's at least we fixed. don't think. Yeah, at least we fixed. don't think. Um, so, so all of that letter, every time she says, like, like in the first sentence, like, my beloved for the reason to adore you, that was anything that referenced explicitly her love for him was all decoded. It was all the stuff that was... Everything else was fine. It was just the love stuff. So apparently she was real worried about that getting out. Um, so that's why people do think that they... Because there are people who don't think they ever had a romantic relationship. But a letter like this, you know, kind of puts it that way. Like I would so, think that she had a relationship. Even if even if he wasn't the father of the fourth child, it doesn't seem like they weren't into each other. <laughs> like there's definitely something some, going on. Something there that she does care for him quite a lot. Um, so like I said, they storm the Tuileries, um, and when that happens, at this point, they've decided that they're going to abolish the monarchy. Um, like I said, that they'd been radicalized more, and so they decide this in September of 1792. Um, it is decided by the government that they will put the king on trial and they're like, they know that he's going to be found guilty. It's not like a real thing because he's whatever crimes they've now found, like found him capable of standing trial for. Obviously he did those things. They weren't, they might not have been crimes always for a king to do them. They're making him, but they're crimes now. Um, and so they knew he'd be found guilty. The thing was, is that there was a split in the government, um, between the less radical and the more radical on whether they wanted to keep him imprisoned or like publicly execute him. And there was like huge differing op- opinions on that. Um, but it was eventually decided by a pretty slim margin, actually, that he would be executed and he would be guillotined, which would happen on the 21st of January, 1793. So our poor, sweet Louis XVI, who sort of fumbled his way through being king, but was a nice guy and loved his locks, is now no more. <laughs> How old was he when he died? Um, Rough estimate? I don't know off the top of my head. I can... Let me Curiosity, type I want to see how long Google. he lived till. That's a shame, though. 
Because all of a sudden they just decide that there's not going to be a monarchy. We're just going to get rid of you. Yeah. Okay, so um, after a cursory Google search, he was 38 when he died. Oh, yeah. So he was quite young. And he, I mean, he was just like a regular kind of nice, boring guy. Like, he didn't really want to be king. Nobody really, like, nobody in his childhood was nice and wanted him to be king. And it was just all forced on him. I feel bad for the guy. I do, too. Um, I'm with you on that. So after he's executed, they didn't know what to do with Marie. Um, So some people wanted her executed, obviously. Um... There were some people who were like, don't execute her, trade her back to Austria. Like, she's basically a hostage at this point, and Austria might want her, and then True. we could get stuff. Because they were, they were also at war with Austria. They were like, you know what, we hate Austria again. She was the peace treaty, and we hate the monarch now in general, so peace off. Plus, everyone, in fairness, all of Europe was like, hey, it's not cool to have a revolution and kill your king. So all of Europe was like, hey, we're fighting France now. So that's also kind of why they're fighting. Which is a gross oversimplification, but we're not here for the French Revolution podcast. Um, so, so they like, trade her back to Austria, get something good out of the deal. Other people, um, actually Thomas Paine, the American, uh, wanted to, her exiled to America. He was like, eh, whatever, we'll take her. Well, there you go. Sounds like a good trade there. You know, just He's like, you know here. what, just, just ship her over here. We apparently don't care. We're all free now. Too? Probably, I would assume. Okay. But he actually wanted all of them. So he even wanted the kingship to America. He's like, whatever, just we'll take him. Um, but he was already dead now, so. Um, eventually, she was made to be separated first from her son, um, who was taken away from her, and, like, brainwashed against her. Okay. And then a month later, she was then torn away from her daughter and her sister-in-law, Elizabeth. Um, so she was allowed to stay with them extra time, but then they were all torn apart again. And so her sister-in-law and her daughter were able to stay together um, for a time. And um, she was taken to a prison called, oh, I'm going to mess this up, the Conciergerie Prison. Say it quickly. It's Conciergerie. Just let it go with them. Prison. <laughs> um, according to a guard, he said the most infected dungeon with a few trusses of straw for a bed is all that is necessary. So, fork the queen. There was actually, she actually got on pretty well with her, like, wardens at the prison. Jailer is what I want to call them. So, it's weird because it was, like, a husband and wife who would basically serve as that position. And, like, they, it was almost like their house almost. Like, they were in charge of it and making sure that it ran correctly. And so the first couple were nice to her and they tried to help her where they could, but, like, they knew they were being watched. Um, And eventually there's an attempt by someone else, someone outside the prison, to help her escape. And this is foiled, so she doesn't get to escape. But because of it, um, even though they weren't involved, they were jailed. They were like, no, you're bad warden, so you're jailed. You didn't do your job correctly. (laughs) It's like a slap on the wrist. And then there's a second couple who comes in, and they also like her. So apparently people really did like her. Like, she's not evil. And she was never, like, this domineering, like... Queen. Yeah, this horrible, like, witch lady. Um, people really did like her, and she was seen as, like, a nice human, even if she spent a lot of money. And so the second couple, they liked her and they wanted to help, but they were like, hey, that other couple got thrown in prison, so we're not stepping out of line. <laughs> um, I don't blame them. Do you? No. So she spends 10 weeks in this prison uh, before she finally gets to have a trial. And at the trial, 
Um, they dug up all of these old libels and the pamphlets and the rumors about her basically like helping the enemy and like being a spy for Austria and being like like a gross oversexed lesbian. And they were like, hey, so you're like all kinds of bad. This is all kinds of illegal. Um, and they'd also, like I said, they'd separated her from her son. And this is this is the saddest part, actually, like genuinely. Um, no way to make this funny. Uh, they brainwashed her son until he claimed that she had sexually abused him. Um, despite the fact that, that like, almost definitely that had never happened. And, um, so she was the most upset by this charge. Um, and she actually refused to answer to it at all. And then she appealed directly to the mothers and tried to, like, get their sympathy for it. Because obviously it's like, how could they say that about me? Yeah, how could they think it... Like, that's my son. Why would I do that? Um, Unfortunately, she was found guilty, like, basically on all of the charges for depleting the treasury and acting against the state. Um, And she was sentenced to death as well. And she took this news with grace uh, when they asked if she had anything to say after the chart, like, after the sentence had been given. uh, She just kind of nodded her head and was like, no, she didn't say anything. Um, On the last night of her life, because she was basically executed the next day, she wrote a letter to her sister-in-law, Elizabeth, who I said had her daughter. And she, I, I've only taken a few bits because um, it's a decently long letter, but she wrote, It is to you, my sister, that I write for the last time. I have just been condemned not to a shameful death, for such is only for criminals, but to go and rejoin your brother. Innocent like him, I hope to show the same firmness in my last moments. I am calm, as one is when one's conscience reproaches one with nothing. I feel profound sorrow in leaving my poor children. You know that I only lived for them and for you, my good and tender sister. She said later of her son as well, uh, Let my son never forget the last words of his father, which I repeat emphatically. Let him never seek to avenge our deaths. And then later in the letter she says, about um, the situation with her son, like claiming that she had done that. I have to speak to you of one thing uh, which is very painful to my heart. I know how much pain the child must have caused you. Forgive him, my dear sister. Think of his age and how easy it is to make a child say whatever one wishes, especially when he does not understand it. It will come to pass one day, I hope, that he will better feel the value of your kindness and of your tender affection for both of them. Um, and then this was the letter that she, like, she kissed it each page of the letter, um, that night, and then it was given to be sent off, and unfortunately, it was then confiscated, and so it never actually reached her sister-in-law. that's a shame. So that's really sad. That is sad. Um, so that's the last letter she ever writes, and then the next day, the 16th of October, uh, 1793, uh, Maria woke that morning, and her head was shaved, Um, for the guillotine, obviously, and she was dressed in white. Uh, She was taken to the execution site, which was about an hour's, like, ride away. Uh, She was taken in an open cart. So her husband had been taken to the carriage, which was closed. Um, But she was taken in a cart, so people could, like, yell and throw things things at her. Um, So that was kind of mean of them to do. She was given access to a priest, but despite pleading for God's forgiveness in the letter that she'd written to her sister-in-law... She chose actually to ignore the priest entirely. She's, she's like, no, I'm not doing it. I, I've spoken to God myself already. I don't need you. We're done. <laughs> You're part of the problem, mister. Um, so she ignored him the entire time. He tried to like do last confession and stuff. As she walked up to the guillotine on like the scaffold, 
Supposedly, her last words were, pardon me, sir, I did not do it on purpose, which she said because supposedly she stepped on the executioner's toes, which is, <laughs> okay. so, which is so sad. I wonder if it's one of those, like, I know it's the guillotine and it's meant to be, A, a humane death, and B, like, fast and... Like, there's not really a way to mess it up, you hope. But I wonder if that's sort of a holdover of, like, times past when you, like, paid the executioner to, like, swing the axe well because you just wanted to die quick. Yes. I wonder if she's like, oh, I stepped on his toes and now he's going to mess up the guillotine. So she's like, sorry, dude. Please don't mess this up for me. Um, so, yeah, kind of sad last words, to be honest, because it just makes me feel sad for her. Um, she was killed around midday, and like some people say, twelve fifteen or twelve thirty, so you know midday-ish. And uh, once her head was chopped off, uh, Madame Tussaud took her head to make her a death mask. And Madame Tussaud is obviously the person who then you know, um, but for everyone who doesn't, uh, went on to make the like whole thing with the wax figures. And the first one she created was in London, and we're sitting like, I don't know. Point three miles away from Madame Tussauds in London, so funny. And yeah, so that she was one of like the first death masks that came out of the revolution. She was 37 when she died. And that's super sad, so now she's dead. Uh, we have the aftermath. Um, so I didn't really get into like the revolution itself, but the main guy who was like one of these revolutionaries and he was like very, very against the monarchs and sort of led the rebellion against them, his name is Maximilian Robespierre, and he was, like I said, the leader of what's called the Reign of Terror, and that's what led to Marie's death. And he, funnily enough, sort of divine justice, um, eventually he goes too far in like his revolutionary spirit, and his own government turns on him. And uh, he would be guillotined himself on the 28th of July, 1794, which is only about nine months after she died. So come with some kind of justice there. It yeah, so like, it's karma. I'm thinking she went to her death pretty bravely. Pretty calm. You know, she could have been. She could have been. More I would have been. I would have been kicking and screaming. I would have been peeing. So yeah, I wouldn't have been excited about it, and I probably, like I said, I would have been. Yeah. Trying to get away. Not happy. Um, unfortunately, this is quite sad, but um, her her son stays imprisoned. Because, obviously, they, they don't want a monarch anymore. Because for a long time, she was like, you know, maybe they'll let my son be that constitutional monarch that they wanted. Like, we messed up, but he's young. Like, they could make him what they want. Even if he's, like, a puppet, they're like, maybe he can live. Whatever happens to him. So, um, he's kept in prison. And then on the uh, 8th of June, 1795, um, the Dauphin, who royalists had actually named as Louis... The 17th because obviously they as soon as his father died people who supported the royal family were like now he's king he's just, he's just imprisoned um but uh he dies at the age of 10 it's probably tuberculosis which was exacerbated by being in like this horrible squalor of the prison um so he he's dead um and then her final daughter marie therese um the one named for her mother her first child was an orphan um, she was left for a time in prison, but eventually at the age of 17, they were like, whatever, she's a girl. So they let her go, uh, which is the one time the patriarchy plays off. So good for her. Um, so she's allowed to leave and she eventually marries, uh, the Duke d'Angoulême. Their marriage 
was unfortunately an unhappy one, and apparently they never had sex. Ever. Which is even, their whole family is just not, like, her grandma was doing it a lot. Her mom did it almost never, and then she was just like, nah. Um, and not then, worth it. <laughs> um, like, the tragedy of her early life had obviously left her real scarred. Um, super trauma child. Um, and so she would spend pretty much the rest of her life exiled from France. Um, and then she would die in October of 1851 at the age of 72. Oh, so she lived, she led a pretty long yeah, life. Yeah, so she was, they were like, whatever, your girl do you want. And so she lived, um, not a particularly happy life, but and, 72 is decently old. And I'll be honest, after what happened to her parents, I wouldn't want to live in France. Yeah, like, yeah. So no. being exiled, not a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe she wanted to go back later on, but, uh... She doesn't, or she she dies not in France. So I think she does at some point, like get to go back a little bit, but she doesn't stay. And in her last testament, she forgave all the people who'd made her life so horrible, um, which is kind of what she said that her parents had done when they said like don't, like don't um, try revenge. to try to avenge us. Yeah. So that's sad, and basically that leads us to her legacy, which is that uh. Marie Antoinette now is kind of seen as, um, like, the poster child for conspicuous consumption and for being totally out of touch with, like, the common people because of all these fake quotes that she never said. And that's sad. That is very sad. Um, But a lot of people either really like her because, you know, they know her history and they know that she was actually, like, very wronged. Or they hate her because she's like, you know, monarchy scum, which... It's all in how she's portrayed and who believes what. Yeah. Um, But I think her life was sad. I think she's often portrayed as much more aggressive than she ever was. Um, I think that she was not probably as keyed into politics as some other queens are. She's She's not as involved in politics or as opinionated as her mother was. Um, not like as brash either. Um, Maybe she should have been. She was just, she just wanted to live her little fake peasant life with her kids, and no one would let her do it. You got to look back in history, and it doesn't bode well for women. No, never. You never Especially do anything royalty. right. I mean, it's if, just if you're too, they're if, very sad. If you're too domineering, then you're called out for that. If you're too meek, you're called out for that. If you're too sexual, you're called out for that. If you're not sexual at all like her, you're still somehow too sexual and you're having lesbian sex with everyone. Um, Can't do anything right. If you have kids, then you're probably having them with, like... Other people. Other men. If you don't have kids, then why aren't you giving us an heir? So it's just, like... And that's why, to an extent, like, at least if there had been a mistress, maybe you... It's horrible to say, because it shouldn't be some other woman's problem. But it's like you could sort of pawn some of that patriarchal BS off on her. So it's, you're not the only one shouldering it. Yeah, but instead it's just all fell to her. I kind, of feel, I kind of feel bad for her. I have to admit I didn't know a whole bunch about her life. Yeah, it's just So I, I actually kind of feel sad for her now. Yeah, I feel really bad for her. I love her. It just seems like all the women in history just have horrible lives, crappy endings. Yeah. And, like, no one's truly happy. And if they are, it's for the first five minutes. Yeah, and then they have to die young or something, so. To, like, balance it out. Yeah. (laughs) Or you have to live just, like, the most unassuming life. Like, you can't do anything of notability. 
Or you just got to be the regular common people. You got to be Maria Christina who was cool enough to get to marry for love and then do her own thing. True. But did she have a title behind her? I mean, she was the Archduchess. I mean, yeah. Of. Okay. But the same. That's just, they were all Archduchesses. I'll be honest. At that time period, I would never want to be queen. They just don't seem to have. They just don't have. Life expectancy sucks. You know, uh, death eminent. Well, that's the thing is that everybody's always like, ah, oh, I want to be a princess. Like Disney princesses. Like if I was in history, I'd be the princess. And it's like, okay, but do you really want to get shipped off at age 14 and never see your homeland again? Because we can actually arrange that. <laughs> well. We can make that happen. Back in that time. It's not something they do nowadays. Eh. I'm sorry, but when everybody was like, oh, I want to be Megan, Duchess of Sussex, I was like, that girl can't even cross her legs anymore. You literally can't cross her legs because it's not proper. At the ankles. You can cross at the ankles, which would drive me insane. Girl, I've tried that so many times. I'd be like, oh, like, I'm going to try to live like her for a day. I can't do it. It's the worst. It's so uncomfortable. I know. Gotta she cross was the knee. What was she just criticized for wearing jeans to Wimbledon? Oh my! It's, I would never want to be noble. I love money. I love money so much. I don't want to be like in the royal family. Yes, and to think about like just the kind of I hate to say it, the dumb stuff that they do. Like you can't wear anything. But I guess what does the queen love? The ballet slippers from Essie nail polish. Yeah. So, I mean, you got to stock up on that because you can't wear anything but... And you can't take your coat off on camera. So if you're on camera and your coat's on, your coat's on. And if your coat's off, then your coat's off. There's no coating. It's like, what are these dumb rules? Like, who thought of this? So basically, women for all time have just been told how to be and how not to be. And even when you're following the rules, you're still wrong. And I don't like that. That royal life. It's just too hard for us. Sorry, Marie Antoinette. Cheers to you, girl. You got the shaft. Literally raising a glass to you because your life was garbage. Here, let's do a... Love you. To Marie Antoinette. Oof. She deserves it. Anyways, that's the end of the episode. Sad life, but uh, that's kind of all. There's no real happy ending on this one. So you can follow me on Twitter at HappyHistoryPod. My Instagram is at HappyHourHistoryPod. Facebook is Happy Hour History Podcast, and my email is happyhourhistorypod at gmail.com. You can let me know what you think or what you want to learn about. And you can also please uh, rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, and then I will know what you guys think of it. So that helps the show and gets people like able to see it in their recommended, which is really helpful. But I hope you enjoyed, and whatever the next episode is, which I don't know what it'll be yet, we'll be back to your regularly scheduled swearing, because Mom will be gone. Okay, I just have, I have a challenge for you. What? Youngest beheaded, I know. Now, well, that was just a question, but I yeah. have a challenge for you. I want you to do an episode on a queen that was happy and it ended well. Um, okay. We'll see what we get. We will see. I have to think and, about and it. And it can't be somebody like nowadays, because I think no beheadings nowadays and no hangings nowadays and stuff like that. I think I have a few thoughts. I don't want to put anything out there yet, but I will look into it and then I'll do one. Okay. I just, there has to be one. There's got to be someone. There has to be one that, like... Who just does it. Who, who makes it. Who did it. Can she have, like, well. can she have like trials and tribulations that she makes it through and then gets a happy ending? Or does it got to be, like, happy, happy, happy? doesn't have to be happy all the way. But she has to have, at some point, enjoyed or loved her husband and 
wasn't killed by the public and or him. Can't be like a Henry VIII where he's off in his wives. You know, I mean, yeah, Catherine of Aragon got to live out her life, but she was miserable. Yeah. You know, um, Anna Cleves got to live out her life, but, but, you know, she wasn't exactly happy. She got rejected. Yeah. So I want somebody who, whose husband actually loved them. Oh, I've got ideas. And she died still a queen, and it wasn't a bad death. Got yeah. I'll I will look into this for you, and I'll try to do one because I've got some thoughts, and okay. I would I would need to do a bit more research just to make sure I was certain. But yeah, I I, understand. I think I yeah I think I have a couple that I could look into. Um, but yeah, I will do that. And if anyone else has any requests for episodes, you can always let me know. You know, via any of the platforms I just mentioned, which I will not do again. Um, But thank you for listening, and that's all. Signing off uh, after four episodes now from me and my mom. Bye. Bye.